You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Maybe in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, as we continue in our series, um, The Rock Won't Move, uh, the message today is marriage, who's on the throne? And so while you're looking up 1 Peter, let me just uh, bring a word of greeting from the churches in Romania. When uh, George and I got there, we went to uh, Ploiesht and spent the weekend with the church there that we support. And, um, and then we went down to Brela, where we had the privilege to serve and teach about 60 of the leaders uh, from right across Romania. And, uh, <clears throat> and they say thank you. Uh, for your investment in us and uh, allowing us to go, uh, for our investment in the church in Romania, first in Girok and, and now in Ploiesht. Um, it is such a blessing, more than we even really understand. And, um, and so a very big thank you from the churches um, in Romania. You see the churches of Harvest there as they're growing and developing and seeing what God is doing, meeting with people who worship like we do passionately, the four pillars, the three W's, and um, seeking to see what God is going to do in their nation. And it's interesting because some changes are coming for them and, and the support from HBF and all the rest of it. But as I was uh, sitting and listening, because they're being asked to do some big things, and uh, I couldn't help but remember when uh, we were meeting down in Middlefield and we were getting support from another church to help us and to encourage us and uh, to come to the place of uh, being able to say to them, I don't know what God will do in Romania, but I know what God can do in Romania because we've seen what God has done in this church. And uh, as he continues to grow us and stretch us for his glory, um, it was a privilege to go. It's an amazing privilege to be back. And so we want to dive into a message, as I mentioned, entitled Marriage, Who's on the Throne? And so uh, if you're here today and you're like, well, I'm not married, so uh, this isn't for me. If you're looking to get married one day, uh, this is for you. Um, as a matter of fact, I want to give you a couple of clues about this text that um, the way that married people should look at it is a little different than the way singles should look at it. And so if you're here today and you're single and you're hoping one day that you will get married, then you need, if you're a guy, you need to focus on strongly into the part that's for the wives. You need to be thinking about what does that say? And if, if you have a girlfriend or someone who you're interested in, you need to be asking the question, how are they fulfilling this? How is this being worked out in their life? And then you need to take a look at a part for the husbands and go, how am I doing this in my role? And uh, ladies, if you're here, uh, you need to take a good look at the last verse when we get to it and go, okay, that guy that I'm interested in, that guy that would be my Mr. Wonderful, does, does he meet these things? And then how am I doing as a woman of God to fulfill the things that are laid out in the scripture? So if you're single, that's how you look at this text. If you're married, you don't look at it like that at all. Married men don't get to look at the part about wives and go, well, why isn't my wife like that? Why can't she be more than that? Too late. Too late. You said I do. You got what you got. And you think that's tough for the women. Man, look what they got. And so ladies, you don't get to look at the verse for the men and go, oh, I got some things to say to my husband when we get home, right? You take the part that's for you. 
and what God has said and what he's saying in his word and how does that apply to you and what do we need to to learn from it and there's all kinds of cross-pollination in the text of other things we can learn but when it comes to your marriage when it comes to your marriage focus on the peace that God is saying to you today and then remember this who's on the throne in your home who's on the throne in your marriage Husband, if, it think, if you think it's you, eh, you got that wrong on the quiz. And wife, if you think it's you, I'm the queen of this castle, eh, you got it wrong on the quiz too because neither of you are on the throne. The Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is the one who sits on the throne. He is the one who we worship. It's not only true in my life as I, I, I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender in salvation, but it's true of my marriage as well. We get this wrong, we get it all wrong because Peter's gonna say some things in this text that are so counterculture, so against what our world says today. If Christ is not on the throne, you're gonna bristle against it, you're gonna fight against it, it's gonna be hard for you. And so we need to get our focus right and get our eyes set on the Lord Jesus Christ and put him up on the throne and then respond accordingly to what God's word is saying to us. So you've got your Bibles open now. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. First uh, Peter chapter three, verses one to seven. <clears throat> Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respect and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We have read it. We seek now, God, to understand it and then apply it in our lives. So God, give us ears to carefully listen to what your word says. Give us minds that we could understand what Peter was saying to the churches and, then, and what, God, you were then through that saying to us. And then, God, give us a heart that's passionate to follow what Jesus Christ calls us to out of this text. Do this, God, for your fame in your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may take your seats. Well, we want to start in this message by taking a look very quickly at a a critical review. It's critical that we get this part right. And around here, you'll hear me say quite often, context, context, context. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you just pull little pieces out here and there. You can find a verse and put it together with another verse, and, and you can virtually do anything. But that's not the way the Bible is written. And so we need to make sure we understand and we take it in context. And so uh, Peter, as he starts out this text, he says, likewise. So he's referring back to something. 
He's referring back to what we have just seen, and we saw it two weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2. You remember as we looked at this text, because there's some things he's going to say that are, are going to be difficult pills to swallow in our society. He's going to say words like, wives, be subject to your husbands. And you kind of go, oh, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Well, let's go back to what he's been teaching us. When we were here two weeks ago, we learned that he said, be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject to the governor. Be subject to the emperor. Be subject to the mayor. Be subject to the police chief. Be subject to those who are put over you. We're called to do that in Jesus Christ. It's counterculture for us, but it's what we're called to. Peter goes on in that text and he talks about slaves being subject to their masters. Now, Peter isn't pushing slavery as a way of life. He wasn't condoning slavery. He was just saying, the way you find, the place you find yourself in your life, you make sure that you live that out for the glory of God the way we're called to do it. Be subject to. Well, then he goes on and he answers the question, why? Why was that so important? And it's found in chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. He says, for to this you have been called. You've been called to this. You've been called to be subject to. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd of your souls. The big problem for us is not the simplicity of the gospel. It's not the fact that Jesus Christ came and paid a price for a debt that you couldn't pay. A debt you was overwhelming and you could not take care of of what needed to be done to redeem that debt. And Jesus Christ came and he paid that price. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree. And all that we have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. He offers it to us as a free gift. The problem isn't with the simplicity of that, but rather the problem is with the hardness of our hearts. The problem is I want God on my terms. I'm not coming under. I'm not gonna um, be subject to what Christ calls me to. And the biggest thing, the most difficult thing for us to get is that I can't do anything to earn it. I don't do anything to deserve it. But what I do have to surrender is my will and what I want. And my pride needs to be set aside. And the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be lifted up. He must increase and I must decrease. And if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the call on your life to set aside your pride, set aside what you want and receive the free gift that Jesus Christ has offered to us. Salvation in Christ alone. My sin placed on him, his righteousness placed on me and all I have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I will be saved. Well, that's the background to what goes on in this text. 
And so there's two major things we want to take a look at today. Here's the first one. When God is on the throne, wives have pure conduct. When God is on the throne, wives have pure conduct. There's three things we want to see. The first one is when, when God is on the throne, you will see the heart of a godly wife. When God is on the throne, you'll see the heart of a godly wife. So let me just uh, preface this by saying, if, if you, ladies, if you wrestle with this, if you struggle with this, please don't come in running up to me afterwards and go, no, 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 I don't think that's the way it is. Take a look at what God's word says, because your battle isn't with me. Your battle is with the one who is on the throne, and we are being called to be subject. We'll see all of us are being called to be subject, but in these verses, he's talking to the wives. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The heart of a godly wife. We're called to submission. It wasn't our idea. It was God's idea. It's not my plan. It was God's, uh, God's plan. Submission is not a husband to command. Submission is for a wife to willingly give. It's an act of obedience to the Lord. It's a reflection of Christ loving and the headship that he has over the church. We are to love Christ. We are to submit to Christ. He is the head of the church. And, and my marriage is supposed to be a picture of the, of the bride and the bridegroom in Christ and the church. And so he says, wives, submit yourself. Wives, submit. Well, what is this submission thing? I found a great quote by Grudem. Let me uh, read it to you. It says, submission to authority can be totally consistent with equality, importance, dignity, and honor. Submission does not mean less important. It does not mean less dignified. It does not mean with less honor. As a matter of fact, Peter's zeroing around back to that when he talks to the men afterwards. Submission was an example made by Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, Jesus was subject to both his parents and to God the Father but was not lower than either of them. And Jesus was subject to his mom and dad, but he wasn't lower than them. He was God Almighty. And Jesus was subject to his father, but they were co-equal together. And so we need to understand what we're being called to, and it's the great challenge in the Christian life because it's a life to be filled with submission and a life to be filled with humility because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, all that he has accomplished for us. It says if a wife if a wife has an unbelieving husband. See, it would have been unusual in that day for a wife to come to know Christ outside of of her husband coming first. That would have been the exception to the rule. That's kind of the rule these days. It seems to be the other way around. But for them, the wife would go, well then then she gets saved and now she's not sure what she's supposed to do. And this is the context in which Peter is, is teaching. And so she would ask questions like, well, he doesn't know the Lord. Like, should I leave him? Or uh, should I change my behavior toward him? Or should, do I have some kind of a superior position over him now because I am in Jesus Christ and he isn't in Jesus Christ? Likewise, be, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of, of their wives. Submission. 
Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another. Luke 2 says Jesus submitted to his parents. Luke 10 says the demons submitted to the disciples. Um, Romans 13 says that a citizen should submit to the government authorities. The universe will submit to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. Unseen spiritual beings submit to Jesus in 1 Peter 3, 22. We'll see that in a couple weeks. Christians are to submit to church leaders, 1 Corinthians 16. Wives should submit to their husband, Colossians 3, 8. And in this text, the church is to submit to Jesus, Ephesians 5, 24. Servants are to submit to their masters, Titus 2, 9. And Christians are to submit to God, Hebrews 12, 9. Submission is the cornerstone, a foundation piece of our walk with Jesus Christ and so Peter starts out and he says wives be subject to your own husbands so that some don't obey the word they may be one without a word so here's a point to your own husbands to your own husbands the scripture is not teaching here that women are to be submissive to men the Bible doesn't teach that it talks about it in the context of marriage, in the order that God has made. The Bible talks about mutual submission in Ephesians 5, right in that section before the husbands and wives and the husbands love your wives like Christ of the church. It's like, submit to one another. But nowhere in Scripture are, are women to be put down and they're a second-class citizen and, and the men are up here and the women are down there. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's a misunderstanding, a misapplication of what God's Word says. But he does say to your own husband, to the one you said I do to, to the one you committed to stay together for the rest of your life, you're to be subject to him. It doesn't matter about your abilities or your education or your knowledge of scripture or your spiritual maturity or any other qualification you might have. Submit to your own husbands. Goes on in the text and he says, um, even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word. We've got uh, women in our church whose um, husbands have come to Christ. And they did it because they stopped nagging and stopped pushing and stopped. See, here's the reality. If you've come to Christ and your spouse isn't in Christ, you, there's nothing you want more for them than for them to know Jesus Christ. You want them to come to a place of faith, to come to repentance and turning, trusting Jesus Christ. But hey, last time I checked, you're not the Holy Spirit. It's not your job to change them. God's word, it's God who brings people from death to life. And so he gives the illustration here, and in the illustration, he's not saying, repeat after me, not saying. One more time, he's not saying. He's not saying that you can't say anything. But just don't think it's your job to change the person. Don't think it's your job to manipulate things so it's gonna end up where you want it to be. Uh, we had a, a marriage in, in our church. It happened right here. And the people are in the room right now. And one of the things that I was talking to the wife and as she was praying, she was praying that God would save her husband because if God would save her husband, it would make their life, her life, so much better. It would be so much easier if my husband would just come to Jesus. Okay, wrong motive. Wrong motive. People need to come to Christ because they're separated from him. They're gonna spend eternity in hell. And we need to speak a word and we need to speak the truth, but 
You're not the Holy Spirit in someone's life. And so Peter says there's something that's just as important and maybe more important, and that is through your quiet silence and testimony and through your conduct, they will see the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says that they do not obey the word, that word is more than just they're neutral about things. It's they're actively disobedient and they don't want what you have and they bristle against it and they push against it and there comes a point when you have to just stop talking and, and just live and be faithful and watch what God can do and watch what he will, what he will do. You're not the Holy Spirit, but God is. So when God is on the throne, a wife's pure conduct is to be subject to her husband. When God is on the throne, a godly wife is a, is a beautiful thing. The beauty of a godly wife. Look at verses uh, three and four. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Don't let your adorning be external. Now again, understanding the culture that Peter was writing to, uh, he understood that the rich, and they would have seen this in their art, um, the rich, the, the women's hair would be all braided up and all, I tried to braid my hair this morning, didn't work so well for me. So, um, but they would just, it was all ornate. It was all about the show. And then they would put on the earrings and they put on all the bling so that they would just look amazing. And it was all about the show. It was all about what you could put on. And um, so here's what Peter is not saying. Peter is not saying, don't braid your hair. He's not saying you can't wear a little bit of lipstick or earrings. I hope none of you read the text and then left your earrings off today because you're like, man, we're going to get it at church today. He's going to tell us we can't wear any jewelry. He's going to tell us we can't do our hair up nice. I don't think you did, but um, it'd be a shame if you did because it's a misunderstanding. It's not what God's word's saying. What he's saying is don't make that the focus. Young ladies, looking for a husband, it's so easy to get caught in the trap of, man, if I can just look really good on the outside, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land a really big fish here. And uh, that's not going to be good for you. Because if that's the only thing the guy wants, that's not going to be a good plan. And he says, don't make that the focus. Don't make it about the external, but make it about the priorities of what God is doing in your heart, that you would have a a quiet spirit and a growing spirit and the hidden things would be the things that would really draw someone to you and make that the goal. So the question would be, what do you depend on to make yourself beautiful? You think you're beautiful is what you look like half an hour after you've got out of bed and you've been to the mirror and you've got the hair done and and now I'm beautiful. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Psalm 73, 26, my life verse, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So is it okay to look good? Is it okay to make yourself up? Is it okay? Yeah, it's okay, but don't make that the priority. Don't make that first because those things are fleeting at best and they're not gonna take you to a good place. 
but rather making it the adorning of a gentle and quiet spirit. The, the text says that is imperishable. It means it's incorruptible. It doesn't fade away. So don't seek those external things in excess. Don't seek them as a status symbol to make yourself look good. Don't seek them to lord it over others because you're on some kind of a power trip about the way that you look. And don't allow personal adornment or materialism to consume your time. So much time is wasted and put in all of these externals. Okay, I've been talking to the wives. Men, we can get caught up in this same thing. And it's just as wrong and just as out of balance. When we think about materialism, yeah, we might not be making up our face. We might not be putting on jewelry. We might not be braiding our hair, but, but we put a lot of external emphasis on the things like the stuff I've got and the people I know and the, don't make that the, don't make that the priority. But rather, God, what are you doing in my heart? What do you want to do in me to make me conform to the image of Jesus Christ? God on the throne. God on the throne, the heart of a godly wife. God on the throne, the beauty of a godly wife. See, a woman can trust her ability to influence and control her husband, or she can trust God and submit. You can try and manipulate it and make it all work out the way you want it to work out. It's not going to be a good end for you, by the way. Or you can learn to submit and just do it the way that God says to do it. A woman can trust her outward adornment or she can trust God and cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. You can put all of your eggs in the I'm going to look good on the outside basket and it's not going to work out well for you. Or you can put your eggs on the, you know what, in balance, but I'm going to be looking to be a woman with a gentle spirit, a godly woman. An example of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to, and I'm going to be willing to be subject. Here's the third thing in this. God on the throne. He gives us an example of a godly wife in verses 5 and 6. He says there, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, the only thing I can come up with is what is frightening. What is frightening is to submit yourself to that guy. Now, that can be frightening. But you come under and you watch what God will do and how he will work and in his time will be faithful. And, um, but he starts out those verses by saying, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Peter isn't introducing some new concept here. This was not just a Jesus idea. This is from the foundation of the world. This is God's order of things. And he uses the illustration of, of Sarah. And uh, Sarah didn't have it easy. Uh, one time, um, Abraham asked, asked her to do something that was wrong. And, and she came under. And then it says that she honored Abraham and called him Lord, small l, Lord. And I wouldn't suggest to any of the men in the room that it would be a good idea for you to go home and say, from now on, I'd prefer that you call me Lord. Uh, that's not going good for you. Remember, you're not supposed to be focused on this part. This is the part for the ladies to understand the husband that God has given you and respect him and love him and, and, and give him the honor that's due to him. But because Sarah did it, it was an illustration. 
She obeyed, and God blessed. Well, then the passage turns. When God is on the throne, husbands show humble leadership. When God is on the throne, husbands show humble leadership. It's found in verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A tightly packed verse, men, that is just chucked packed with things for us to see and learn and to understand. Uh, Peter's advice to husbands is compressed, perhaps because he's addressing at more length than the other areas, the under authority piece. But here he just comes back. Now, men, men, this is the part for you. Make sure you get that because at the end of it, there is a very strong warning for the man. And basically he tells them uh, four things to do um, or four principles. Here's the first one. He says, dwell with them. Live with your wife. Live with your wife. Not live over your wife, not pushing her down. Live with your wife. Not just living in the same house, cohabitating together, but rather making an investment in how you live with your wife. When you said, I do, you promised all of these things until your last breath, until God takes one of you or both of you home. You're in this together to live together. Live with, with, together, with your wife. Ephesians 5 says, the husband ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Live with her. Here's the next thing. Understand her. Live with her in an understanding way. Okay, I've been married for 35 years. And some days, I'm just a little smarter than a rock when it comes to this stuff. But live with your wife in an understanding way. Uh, Let me give you an illustration of an area that I'm still growing in. I'll grow until Jesus comes back, I'm sure, in this area. But uh, sometimes Sue says to me, um, uh, can we talk? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. And and so, you know, usually she has to turn the TV off for that to really happen. But, um, and we start to talk. And about two sentences in, either I'm finishing her sentences or I'm telling her what, what she needs to do. And she looks at me and she goes, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I just want you to listen. And I'm about fixing it. It's like, you know, you, you give me four sentences. I know what you need to do. I know how we can fix it. She goes, I, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. What's my problem? I'm not living with her in an understanding way. I'm living her in the way that I want to live with her and I want to accomplish the thing and I want to get this done so I can watch the Leafs in the second period or whatever it is. And she says, live in an understanding way. Some of the wives are like, yeah, I wish my husband would just do that too. Just, yeah, well, I'm not real good at it and I'm still learning. And to the point that humorously, but sometimes in our conversation, I'll say, am I just supposed to listen or do you want me to tell you what you want to do, right? And uh, that doesn't work very often, but sometimes she says, no, just, just listen, just listen. But it's not the way I'm wired. I'm wired to fix stuff. I'm wired to get stuff off the to-do list. I'm wired to get it done. She just wants me to listen. It's painful. It's hard. <laughs> but I'm called as a husband to live with her in an understanding way. Here's how I'd say it. Men, make yourself a student 
of your wife. Make yourself a student of your wife. See, we get it all wrong because we get our priorities messed up. We, we understand that God's first, but then we get the rest of the priorities so messed up so often because we kind of t- con- uh, maybe uh, equate it to time management. And we're like, well, I got to go to work for 40 or 50 hours a week. And so that must be the most important thing or a more important thing. No, no, your wife is the most important thing after God in your life, before your kids, before your job, before what you want. Your wife is next. And so men, Live with your wives, dwell with them as equals in an understanding way, trying to grow up and understand them more. I said in the last service, maybe good if the wives put their fingers in their ears for this part, but no, that's okay, you can hear this. Uh, But maybe a brave husband might go home and say, honey, where am I failing in that? How could I be more understanding of you? Now, ladies, if any of your husbands are brave enough to do that, do not bring out the list, okay? Just like give him one or two things this year and one or two more things next year and just allow him to grow in these things. But, hey, man, live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor, showing honor. That's what the text says. What do you do to make your wife feel and know that she is honored by you? Do you, uh, do you encourage her with words? Do you bring home a gift? Do you think about what her needs are? Do you, how are you actively honoring your wife? Because if you're not doing this, there's a consequence that is coming. And so husbands, we're not called to be over our wives with our thumb down on them. We are in this together. We're going to see that in a second. We're in this together. And your job is to live with her in an understanding way, honoring her. Hey, let me tell you this. If you're doing that, she is not going to struggle with the first part of this text. If you're doing your part, she's not going to struggle. Now I say to the wives, if he's not doing that, that's not your excuse not to do it. You're still called to do it. But in a great marriage, a wife is subject and a husband is dwelling and understanding and honoring his wife as best that he can. You fail to honor your wife, you fail. In the text, it says there's some words that sometimes get the women a little bit upset. He says, uh, honor the woman as the weaker vessel. As the weaker vessel. Okay, so let me tell you what he's saying. She's weaker. She's not as strong as you are. It's not about mental. It's not about social. It's not about capacity. It's not about spirituality. The picture he's giving is in their home. If I was to line up all the husbands and wives across the platform here, and we just look at them, in general, we would say, the men are stronger than the women are. That's all it's talking about. He's talking about in that context and in their lives and in their community. You take care of your wife. You are called to do it. You committed to do it. You love her. You honor her. You understand her. She's not as strong as you are. And it's a way that you can show honor to her. So I've got three C's for the harvest husbands today. Just so you remember this part. The first one is companionship. Make it your priority that your wife is your first companion, really your only companion, and you dwell with her. The next word is consideration. 
that you understand. You make yourself a student of your wife and what her needs are and how she's growing and what the things are she's wrestling through. And, and then you see how you can do it. I needed a good C word and someone gave it to me. Chivalry, that's a good word for the next one. That you would honor her. Honor her. Open the door for her. Say thank you. Give praise. She's a gift from God to you. Think about how messed up you would be if you didn't have that lady in your life. And if that's not enough, for all those thumb down kind of guys, Peter says this, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, with you. Now they're gonna tag along after you and get the leftovers. No, 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 no. In Jesus Christ, they are heirs with you. You. This reminds husbands that even though they've been given a great authority within marriage, their wives are still equal to them in spiritual privilege and in eternal importance. Importance, They are joint heirs together. And then Peter gives the warning. Don't shy away from this, men. He says, so your prayers may not be hindered. You want your fellowship with Christ to be weakened or torn apart, husbands? Here's a great way it'll happen. When you don't dwell with your wife in an understanding way, honoring her. She is God's gift to you. Together, you're supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. And when you don't do that, your prayers feel like they're going to hear because that's where they're going because your prayers are hindered because you're not being faithful to what God's called you to. He's not called you to be perfect. We're all growing in this and growing in it together. But men, do not, do not allow your spiritual life to wane and falter because you're not committed to your marriage the way you should be. You're not in it 100%. Because if you're not, your prayers will be hindered. It's a failure on your part. It's a failure that none of us really want to face. And maybe some of us are struggling with, you know, I'm just not feeling like I'm close to the Lord right now and I'm just not where things should be and, you know, things aren't coming together in my life. And, well, there's lots of places you can examine for that. Are you in the word? Are you before the Lord? But here's one. How are you treating your wife? How are you living before her in an honorable way? How is God getting the glory in your marriage? Well, so what? So what? It all comes back to who's on the throne. It all comes back to who's first. And in my house, it's not me. And in my house, it's not Sue. In my house, more and more, learning more each day that Christ is the one who is on the throne. He is the one who is first. My submission under Christ Sue's submission under Christ. And then Sue's submission under, it's all under me. It's all pictured by what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. He was willing to submit. He submitted himself, humbled himself, and came obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what's he calling us to do? Nothing in comparison to what he did. And now we have an opportunity to picture all that God has done for us in glory for us. And so to the wives... Live appropriately as Christ did. And husbands, live appropriately as Christ did. Him on the throne. 
and us fulfilling our responsibility and our obligation, not unwillingly, but cheerfully because it's what God would have for us. We do this not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Because I'm not on the throne anywhere. The Lord Jesus Christ is. I'm not first anywhere. The Lord Jesus Christ is. And so ladies, if you struggle with being subject, you don't struggle with this message. You struggle with the Lord. And husbands, if you struggle with honoring your wife and living with her and honoring her and all of those things, whether in either case they deserve it or not, you're not struggling with that. You're struggling with what God has called you to. Let us be people of God, focused on who's on the throne, and then living that out for the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. We thank you for it. We didn't make it up. Peter wrote down what you had him write down, but he even took it back to this is the way it was from the beginning. This is the way it was with Abraham and with Sarah. And Father, that order has been your order. So Lord, we live in a world that's so difficult because it pushes against this. It's going against what the world says, but our whole lives go against what the world says. Lord, would you give us a heart and a passion to live in a counterculture kind of way that people would ask us for the reason of the hope that is in us because of who Jesus Christ is on the throne. God, do this work, not to us, but for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.